why in the freaking hell would we then say that the people who are supposed to protect and serve, who obviously are not doing it, they're killing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and brutalizing people mm-hmm. in these cases. And, and this is not an indictment of all police officers. We're talking about the ones that do these things. Yes. Why in the freaking hell is it that people don't understand that somebody who kills a man like this, mm-hmm. the man is literally begging for his life. Mm-hmm. Why shouldn't that person be held to the highest of all standards? Mm-hmm. Alrighty, boys and girls, another week, another week here on Alabama Politics This Week with Josh Moon and David Person, uh, who you can hear in the background spraying himself down with disinfectant once he entered the room with me. I don't don't know what that says, but uh, I got the bottle out and started going to town as soon as he walked in. uh, ADHD, uh, Uh, but hey, we got a, we got a good one uh, today. Uh, Mayor uh, Montgomery Mayor Stephen Reed is going to be on yeah. with us. Uh, he has uh, been all over the place uh, of late. You've probably caught him on CNN or MSNBC, or uh, I believe he was on Fox News a couple of times as well, uh, talking about the uh, the spread of the COVID. Uh, as I have started calling it, I just keep calling it the COVID. The COVID. Uh, yeah, it makes it sound like a Batman villain. Uh, yeah, so the COVID is after us, uh, and uh, you know the silent killer it is. Uh, but the uh, uh, it, it they've had a, a massive problem uh, in Montgomery of late. Yeah, you know, I think we've all had massive problems with this, but Montgomery is experiencing one now with an uptick in cases and hospitalizations, and uh, they're out of ICU beds. And so, uh, but Mayor Reed is going to be on with us. He's going to talk about that, and they and also uh, you know I told him that we would like to to discuss a few other topics as well just um you know touching on on some things that, that we're going to start with here uh too which uh, the the minnesota um i i mean i don't uh, awfulness i guess is the Look, best way to, to tell you i don't think i've been this angry in a long time mm. when you watch that video and i'm gonna be honest with you i don't like watching these videos i don't either but i watched that one and the rage that you feel, mm-hmm. it's just absolutely freaking unnecessary yep. what that cop did to that man. Mm-hmm. And again, and the, you know, along with many, you know, there's a guy, I won't mention his name because he's actually a nice guy, but he's a black conservative Republican. Mm-hmm. And whenever I post about stuff like this, he immediately jumps on to try to defend white, I, I would argue, white privilege and white supremacy. Uh-huh. But, but I will say he's a nice man, and I like him as a person. Uh-huh. But here this guy comes talking about, immediately comes in with the, what cops do, you know, how the black community doesn't doesn't say anything when it's gangbangers killing people, but we always got something to say with cops. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, really, dude? Mm-hmm. First of all, why are we even bringing up gangbangers? George Floyd, jo- George Floyd was not a gangbanger. Mm-hmm. Eric Garner was not a gangbanger. Mm-hmm. You know, so why even introduce that line of thought? Second, secondly, the very idea that we don't say anything in the black community about gang violence is absolutely ludicrous. Mm-hmm. 
I've been hearing this conversation about gang violence and our concerns about it and, and various entities that take action yeah. related to it all my life. Mm -hmm. I've been black for 57 years almost, mm -hmm. all my life. And then finally, and then finally I'll say this. How is it that people don't get, Josh, help me to understand, how is it that people don't get that to whom much is given, mm -hmm. much is required, mm -hmm. if you put on the badge mm -hmm. and say that, you're, that your primary function is to protect and serve, right. why in the freaking hell would we then say that the people who are supposed to protect and serve, who obviously are not doing it, they're killing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and brutalizing people mm -hmm. in these cases. And, and this is not an indictment of all police officers. We're talking about the ones that do these things. Yes. Why in the freaking hell is it that people don't understand that somebody who kills a man like this, mm -hmm. the man is literally begging for his life. Mm-hmm. Why shouldn't that person be held to the highest of all standards? Mm -hmm. Well, and that's what I was going to say when you, you brought up the point uh, of, of the gangbangers. Uh, first of all, I, I don't know that we ought to start holding uh, police officers to the same standards that we hold gangbangers to. Thank you. Uh, and, and, Thank you. Uh, and, and above that, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, what the chief of police in Chattanooga, Tennessee said, mm -hmm. uh, which is, if you believe it's okay under any circumstance, whatever happened just prior to, to the video starting of, of the officer having his neck, uh, left knee on uh, George Floyd's uh, neck, whatever occurred there, if you think that it's okay as a police officer to kneel on that man for nine minutes, nine, nine minutes, minutes, then turn in your badge. Thank you. And that and that that was that's another police officer. That's the chief of police of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Thank and you. Um, and you know. I, there is no excuse for for that. Uh, there is no. There is nothing that can be said that uh, you know can justify any of that. And and you know they those guys were rightly fired. Uh, they should have been arrested. I don't understand why they haven't been arrested. Uh, and yeah. because I think had they been arrested and had there been some uh, some immediate action taken in that uh, regard, I think you could have stemmed a lot of the things that have happened since then. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, you're talking about the fire, right? The fire, yeah. The the you know the you know the protesting that has taken place since then, which yeah. it's odd to me that it's that it's riots when 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 black people are doing it, but it's protests when the white armed people take over state capitals. Right. It's really weird, uh, you know. We're, we're, I know it, it, yeah. it's we're used to it. Yeah. We're accustomed to it. It's but it, and so I think that had there been some some proactive measures taken there to calm a city that was on edge um, then I, I think you could have stemmed some of that, but instead they went the opposite direction, and they had police fire tear gas. Uh, they had uh, you know confrontations with with physical violence, uh, things that did not take place at any of these state capitol buildings, where people stormed them, screaming, punching cops, uh, pulling cops off of the steps, assault no, weapons. Yes, with assault, armed people with masks and body armor on. Yeah. you didn't have any of these problems. No. All right, you didn't have any of the any of the of the That's cops. 
firing on underneath them. all that camouflage and body armor. Mm-hmm. We can see white skin. Right. Well, uh, and yeah. Well, they're and straight th- hair. Those people were patriots, obviously. Uh, and, white yeah. skin and right and, and straight hair equals uh, patriots. patriots. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course. But you know, black skin right. and, and with with tattoos or not, mm-hmm. and that, and curly hair or kinky hair. Well, that equals mm-hmm. obviously you know terrorism, riots, gang banging. Yeah. Of course. Obviously. And and yeah. you know the, for the people who say. Well, I just don't understand why why they have to riot and 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 you know and burn things and 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 destroy property and things like that and uh you know uh, to a certain degree I can sympathize uh, especially with the business owners and things like that that are going to suffer sure. losses. Yeah. However, I also seem to notice that none of y'all give a shit unless they do that. You know, you don't. You don't. And also I know if you are aware of this or not, but that's kind of the way this whole place started. I was going to say it's a great American tradition. Mm, yeah, starting with the Boston Tea Party. Exactly. Uh, and, and rioting is not new. Uh, in fact, many of us in the black community have taken note of the fact mm-hmm. that sometimes after joyous events like the winning of a Super Bowl <laughs> right. or a college championship, yeah. what happens? Yeah, there's a lot rioting. of rioting. Yeah, oh, lot, we don't. What, well, what a lot of white people I'm involved sorry. in what those. Do we call it. When it's, yeah, when it's well, I'm sorry. Celebrations. Celebrations. Uh, celebrate. Wild Exuber- celebrations. Wild, zealous, yeah. exuberant celebrations. Yeah. Well, yeah. Some things got broken during the celebration. Yeah, that happened. Uh, you know, then, boys will be boys. White people. <laughs> so what are you funny. Do with them yeah. Oh, guys. Huh. But so, so we're back in the same sort of situation. And I'll tell you, it's been a rough few weeks uh, for for the black community. Uh, you know, starting uh, with the Ahmaud Arbery case in Georgia. Yeah. Uh, with, with, well, I'll t- you know what? The worst case out, out of all of these, I, I, maybe, maybe, I, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to rank them, I guess, but is the, the, the poor lady in Kentucky who was shot in her bed yeah. eight times, yeah. uh, didn't do a thing in the world wrong. Uh, they've let their, her boyfriend go, rightfully so at this point, dropped the charges against him because they uh, the cops no-knocked at their at their house and just came charging in, and yeah. he didn't know who the hell they were. Neither one of them had any warrants. Neither one of them had had been in any sort of trouble in the past. They were both you know, good people. In fact, she was a, uh, worked for, uh, I think, the city or something. Yeah, well, I, I thought she was an EMT. Uh, well, but maybe so. EMT. Yeah. Uh, well, and it could have been private. That's yeah. true. But, but I'm saying she served right. the community. Yeah, she yeah. was. And, and so, and and they just went rolling into this place because she had a previous boyfriend who used her apartment as his current address on some stuff. And, and I mean, you know, and uh, the the father, her father was like, you know, she would have let him in. She would have let him in and search anything, yeah. you know, if they just came and asked. Yeah. And it's just, but so, but that's not the way this happens. And, you know, in, in you know, you're also talking about uh, people who say, "Well, you you never bring these things up when when we're talking about you know gang violence and and uh, the things that occur, you know, the black on black crime, you know, that that people love to to spout off about." Well, yeah, you do. Um, you know, when you're talking about uh, racism in in education, uh, you know, in educational opportunities. That's talking about gang violence, all right? Mm-hmm. That's talking about all the things that lead to that. When you're talking mm-hmm. about having social programs that help lift people from the bottom and, and help restore some of the rights and some of the uh, economic disadvantages that they've experienced over the course of generations uh, to, to help lift them from that poverty that's there, 
that's about gang violence. Right. There's a reason people turn to gangs, okay? That's right. Uh, and it, yeah. it's not because they think no no kid is is born thinking or you know comes up in life thinking, hey, when I grow up, I'm going to be a gangbanger and go. Comes out of the womb wanting to bang. No. Yeah. No. Right. You, it happens because of the opportunities presented and and the lack of opportunities presented in things, yeah. and so that's what's taking place. So really, shut up. Yeah. I mean, you know, unless you're doing something to help in that regard, shut up. Yeah. So, let me just say before it gets away from us, mm-hmm. once again, and I find that I'm, it's almost like I need to, maybe I need to start bringing pom-poms into the <laughs> because I oh, find that I've become... Well, you already have the skirt on, so it's... <laughs> hey, 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 that's supposed to be between Oh, us. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Josh... Heck of a column, man! Oh, thank you. I thank mean, you. I feel like I, I feel like I'm just being your cheerleader, your cheerleader week uh-huh. after week. I need an agent. But heck of a column, well, seriously. So. Where you your column was? It should be clear by now. Kaepernick, Kaepernick was right. Mm-hmm. And the way that you weave that thing in with connect that thing with Colin Kaepernick mm-hmm. and what happened to George Floyd mm-hmm. and what is happening to other black men like uh, uh, Ahmaud Aubrey. I mean, man, and and also to the young lady whose name I I keep forgetting in um, yeah we, in Kentucky, um, man, let me tell you that was strong, and and you know many of us in the black community, one of our frustrations, at least in in my lifetime, has been well as I think about my reading of history even beyond my white my my lifetime, has been that it's hard to find white people who get it, who get it. Mm. You know, what, what seems just so patently obvious to us mm-hmm. is often dismissed or challenged by white people in ways that is just demeaning and just damn frustrating. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you get it, and you articulated it so well, I even quoted you on Facebook here, you said... Um, no, I don't like to be quoted. I'm, well, I'm just I'm, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Go ahead. He said, this is the system that black Americans must traverse in this country. One that leaves black parents rightfully concerned that the men and women, all of us white people, call for protection might just be the executioners of their children. Mm-hmm. Lord Jesus have mercy. That's a powerful line. Well, thank you. As a black parent, Mm. you are articulating the concern that I have for my Mm -hmm. 25-year-old son and for his friends who Mm -hmm. are black. He's got black and white friends, but I'm talking about his black friends, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and so many others. This is what we black parents live with. We black families live with. You captured it. You captured it well, and I just—I got to shout you out. Well, I appreciate that. I do. Uh, it's um, you know, I—I'm I, so much uh, more accustomed to dealing with criticism that I have no idea how to handle praise. So I'll just move <laughs> on real fast. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it really. <laughs> you, you mentioned not you know people white people not having um, a, an idea of. Uh, you know how to how to address that or to dismiss things that that they don't understand and what and I guess you know I, it's not like it it's some it requires some super intelligence uh, or or anything like that it, it just to me has always been if you start with the fact that everybody is is human 
everybody it, that we're dealing with is is growing up in this country for the most part and i think that most people uh come up with the same sort of aspirations and uh you know similarly you know what i mean it's not not everybody is the same obviously but similar aspirations and and dreams and hopes and things like that uh and so if you if you're then taking a group of people who have a a certain mindset or a certain set of beliefs about things you you got to wonder to me anyway what led to that you know why is that why is that a thing you know i think the same thing with with conservatives you know a lot of the time you know, why the hell do you believe that nonsense you know mm-hmm. uh and, but but you know so i think it, it's just easier to me to approach it from that way which is okay there are a whole group of people who are scared of the police why is that you know i'm not scared of the cops you know the uh, the only thing that worries me about police is that they're going to harass me for a few minutes and give me a ticket for speeding or something i'm not sure don't worry that they're going to kill me you know i'm not sure i'm never in my life worried about being shot by a cop you know uh for no reason at all um and so why then in my mind it's why do they believe that and i want to understand that better uh and so that's all that that really is is just trying to have a better understanding of of people and it's not just you know trying to understand black people or whatever it's trying to understand all people you know and why why they believe that and it's not look i'm not always good at it okay especially when it comes to like like i mentioned before conservatives because my default is why are you a moron you know and and it, and it, so it takes me some time to look to, to wait to step back and say okay look this person believes this because of this and this and this and they've been misinformed terribly by these people or whatever um but so i, I just I just have never understood how you could take people who were genuinely afraid or genuinely scared uh, or who were genuinely angry and say, well, I'm just dismissing that, you know, and, and, and I think that if we wouldn't do that so quickly, sometimes I think we, there would be a lot better understanding of what's taking place here. And there wouldn't be a lot of people with knees on throats uh, because everybody would be outraged. And I I will say uh, this was so egregious of an act there in Minnesota for uh, uh, with George Floyd that that I have seen very very few defenses uh, of the police uh, you know the best anybody can do that I can tell is well not all cops are bad well you know of course not you know nobody is saying that no I, I mean I, you know I've got cops that's in the, another that's another freaking deflection yeah, of man. course Nobody's it is saying that all cops are bad and, and so uh, but you know it's been that bad that so few people are actually doing it and so maybe but here's our fear though and I, I think that's a very good point but here's our fear mm-hmm. there was very little dissension or dispute with the Eric Garner mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. And then look what happened. Yeah, those bastards got off. I, I don't understand those that damn at all. cops got off. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't. I never understood what uh, what happened with in Eric Garner's case. Uh, I never understood. I read as much as I could read about it. I never understood how that cop wasn't wasn't convicted uh, of uh, well, performing a chokehold. I, I, I understand it. It's the jury. The jury yeah. was a jury comprised of people who fall into that that. That I'm going to just say Trumpian category of people mm-hmm. who could care, I think, could frank, quite frankly, could care less yeah. about the life of Eric Garner or his family 
They, yeah, they think the police were justified to treat that man like a damn animal. But how did they manage in, in a city like New York to come up with 12 to 14 people? Well, it wasn't New York, first of all. It was not? I thought it was New York City. The jury, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, or somebody can email us or, or whatever, but I believe the jury came from outside of New York City. Okay. I believe the jury came from, I, I, I had in my mind, um, uh, was it Yonkers or someplace like that? Hmm. Sort of upstate, more going towards upstate. Okay. I don't right, so think so it, maybe they moved the, maybe, maybe they moved that's it? That's my recollection. Okay. Now, if I remember correctly, it happened in Long Island, if, if I'm right. Or, and I could be wrong about that. But, but I, my recollection. Is outside that, of a bodega selling loose cigarettes, right? Right. Right. And so my recollection was that, that it happened, it may have happened in Long Island, but that uh, the jury came from elsewhere. In fact, okay. I guess we can look that up. Well, I mean, yeah, was, yeah, no. how would we even look something like that up? I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, research? Come on. That's not what we're here for. Um, but listen, regardless of, of, of what, yeah. you know, of the, of those facts, it just, it, it's another one. You know, the Philando Castile uh dealing it was even worse yeah, you know yeah, i mean he was telling him i've yeah. listened i've got a permit i've got a gun you know just and, wait and you said for me to read and i'm trying to do what yes you told me to do yeah, and in the meantime my wife and child are in the, in car. the car i know my god my i mean god. you know yeah. uh, just and uh, uh i don't there have been so many of those cases and this is this was one thing I wanted Staten to make Island sure. Jury. Staten oh, Island. There you go. Well, then never mind. Staten Island. I understand. Um, yeah, morons. Um, so there I go again, not understanding people. But so, but the one thing I, I do want to to say here is, and, and that I hope people don't miss, is that we're talking about murder here. All right, we're talking about. The murder of a man, and actually we've talked about the murder of, of three men uh, and a woman uh, here so far. And, and these are the things that's caught on video, and these are the things that are, that are causing the outrage. But in between these cases, there are, can you even wrap your head around the number of instances, if they're willing to do this level, commit this level of an offense against a person, can you even wrap your head around the number of lesser offenses, the abuses, the abuse of rights, the uh, you know the, the incorrect arrests that take place, sure. the the harassment that takes place? Yeah. I mean, that's what that is. When, when people talk about well, why you don't you got this? We got a couple of bad cops. It is well, it's because it's an it's an ongoing thing that systemic. yes that that rises yeah. to to a to a crescendo. The Justice Department studies have shown that. It's systemic. Yeah, well, it's systemic. all the ones before 2017, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, and it took and it took it took the Mike Brown to to a large degree, I think it took the Mike Brown situation to get the kind of scrutiny on, you know, mm-hmm. um, on it that, mm-hmm. that helped us to understand. I mean, that's how we learned. Well, I don't know if that's how we learned, but uh, around uh, maybe a little bit after that time is when we learned about that crazy black ops site that they had in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Where they were detaining people. Yep. You know, I mean, that this kind of BS yes. has been happening in the black community for years. Mm-hmm. That's not to say 
that there aren't criminals in the black community. But you know what? There are criminals in the white community, Yes, too. there are. And they don't get the same kind nope. of treatment. Uh, Nobody's dealing with the mafia this way. No. And with criminal enterprises in the, in the white no, community. No, we celebrate them. We celebrate them. We make TV shows about them. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's... Uh, you know, you, you look back at the history of this, and, and, and you know, I think everybody at this point, I, I don't think there's anybody... Who, who even even the some of the biggest racists in the world, I don't think, would look back at, at the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and say that black people were not uh, systematically targeted by police officers and by, by law enforcement to a great degree uh, to the point where the arrests were for minor, minor offenses that, that white people would never be arrested for. And that sort of attitude fostered this notion and this belief among a lot of people going forward that there were problems, quote-unquote, in the black community. And there were problem people. And they were all, why are so many black people getting arrested? Well, because you keep arresting them. I would I would argue, um, and this will be my final statement before we got to get out of here, I would argue that people need to read Michelle, Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, to really understand how we've got a continuous line from the days, uh, the early part of the 20th century, when black men were arrested for crimes like spitting on sidewalks, Mm -hmm. so that they could then be incarcerated, so that sheriffs Mm -hmm. and others, and other law enforcement people could then lease them out for profit. Yeah. You know, basically another form of slavery. You know, we, we, there's a, there's a continuous, there's a continuum that runs from that kind of treatment along with the false allegations of rape that we saw with the Scottsboro mm-hmm. Boys and Emmett Till, famously, but many, many others, mm-hmm. you know, to where we are today. Yep. Oh, listen, there were entire laws set up just to imprison black people, okay? Mm-hmm. They were just, they just created laws to do this, mm-hmm. all right? And and that, it, it just is, it's, it's mind-blowing and it is irritating uh, and it is sad, you know, to to watch what has taken place uh, and then to lean on that racist past as a justification for things that you're doing wrong today uh, is an even further slap in the face uh, for people. And, I, you know, I, if you want people to to not riot and to to stop uh, to have better race relations, you know, listen, I, I know this all fell apart under under President Obama uh, because, you know, he just refused to stop being black when he became president but um you know but if you want things these things to be better then pay more attention to this uh treat people better understand that if this were you or your child or what was you know what how you would feel uh about these things and you know let me tell you the first video of a guy in a suit with his with a cop with his knee on his neck and he dies out there there'd be some massive changes in the police department guaranteed um all right that's uh uh let's let's slide out of here maybe we'll be less angry for our uh, interview with uh the <laughs> mayor yeah, Stephen reed uh, yeah, yeah although from my understanding that uh he's been pretty irritated about things himself so we'll uh hopefully uh we'll have a nice little chat with him we'll be back in a moment
Hey, this is David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, I do this uh, podcast with Josh Moon, and we need you to do us a favor. Can you please give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, whatever it is you're using, whatever platform you're using, and also subscribe to the podcast. We need those numbers to continue going up so that Josh and I can start making some real money. Welcome back in. Now, we are uh, happy to uh, to have uh, Mayor Montgomery, Mayor Stephen Reed on with us now. And uh, and I, I say, you know, he's on with us at, at this point. I don't he may may simultaneously be on CNN and MSNBC <laughs> and, and several other networks, because I know he is uh, he has been all over the place of late in, in talking yeah. about uh, and been a, a strong voice for, uh, for what's taking place in, in his city. And, uh, and and a lot of people have turned to him to hear that. And Mayor, we we appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk with us today. Thanks so much for having me. I, you know, I guess this thing kind of uh, heated up in, in Montgomery. I know it's Montgomery has has had some issues with uh, with COVID nineteen and and the virus there uh, over the course of the last uh, few months. And but I think of late it has really become a national focus uh, because because of your uh, statements about uh, being out of ICU beds. And I guess uh, the first thing we need to do is just ask how things are now. What what's the status of the ICU beds? And, and what does the, the status of the virus look like in Montgomery right now? Well, we've got uh, 2% ICU beds uh, open as opposed to 1% that we had last week. And, uh, you know, so I, I guess some people would say that's an improvement. But we, it, it is uh, improvement in the numbers, but certainly not in the situation itself. When we've never gotten above 7% in the last week. And just in my call this week with our hospital leaders, while they told me certainly they're accepting patients and they they want people to come in if they're sick, uh, they also expressed that the circumstances still were not sustainable. They were still alarmed by the number of positive COVID cases that are coming into uh, the hospitals here in the Montgomery area and that they could see the cliff and they wanted me to uh, continue to stay on message about uh, what type of crisis we're in and what we have to do uh, in order to keep from uh, falling off that cliff. So, uh, you know, we, we still got problems here. We've had a 310% increase uh, in cases month over month. So when, when we think about what's happened in May, it has been an unpredictable surge that while it has not overwhelmed our hospitals and healthcare system, because there are people being released, uh, there are people who uh, have recovered, it has maxed out our uh, doctors and healthcare professionals who are working these cases and they're, you know, thereby putting some other uh, areas in jeopardy. And so I think that's something for us to, to keep in mind when we look at the overall scenario here in Montgomery. And now as we see, you know, cases start to spike in other parts of Alabama, I think it ought to give us all some concern. What, I guess, what do you attribute to such a, I mean, I think it's at 310%. What, what, what has made the cases spike in, in that, uh, to that degree? 
According to the health professionals, they can't point to any one specific event or any you know one uh, place or places that you know really account for this. It's really covering all demographics. Forty percent of the new cases are uh, people ages 25 to 50, so it's not just the elderly that that are coming in uh, with this virus. Uh, you know. I think, and, and this is my opinion, along with with you know anecdotal evidence they've given me, that it's because we opened prematurely, uh, we opened the economy up prematurely, and people stopped adhering to uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention health guidelines on this, the CDC guidelines. I think we did a very good job of doing this in late March and most of April, but I think people have gotten COVID fatigue and they believe that uh, it's a gamble whether or not you get it or not, and they're ready to fast forward through uh, this chapter in American history so they can get to the end of it, and they're willing to throw precaution to the wind in order to do so. And I think that's what's led to the numbers, and I think that's also what's led to uh, our increased deaths that we've had here in Montgomery in the month of May. So, Mayor, this is, uh, this is Dave. Uh, my first question to you is this. Are we talking still about the black community being disproportionately affected in Montgomery? Yes, we are. And we're talking about, you know, high need communities being uh, disproportionately represented. And my theory, it has not been, you know, disproven is that many of these people are not only in housing situations where you have multiple people living together, but they're also in work situations where they don't have their own office. They cannot work from home. They are coming into contact with more people who may even be asymptomatic uh, in the public than many others. You know, they're in the service uh, manufacturing industry jobs. They're working close to other coworkers, and certainly the uh, pre-existing health conditions and the lack of a uh, suitable rural health care system in this part of Alabama does not help. So I think when you combine all those factors, you're going to see that. Uh, you know, it's impacting the black community in a, in a disproportionate manner. And that is something that I think is only uh, showing, you know, it, it's it's really highlighting the, the divide that we have in our healthcare system and the divide that we have throughout society here in um, Montgomery and, and the rest of this state. But there are also, again, a number of, uh, of white Alabamians who are coming down with this disease uh, and who are being infected also. And, and so it's, it's not just one or the other, but I believe that the uh, black community has certainly been disproportionately hit because of some of the uh, reasons I just laid out. My second question, uh, Mayor, is, is about the impact that COVID-19 has had on tourism in Montgomery. It was booming. Montgomery was rocketing to the top of uh, the the charts, if you will, in terms of just the draw of people, not just from around the nation, but from around the world, especially because of the Equal Justice Initiatives Museum and Memorial down there. And now everything has come to a screeching halt. Can you talk a little bit about that and 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 what your what and share with us your observations on that? Well, I think tourism, you know, across the board has has been down dramatically. Here in, in Montgomery, it's it's been down almost eighty percent. 
So when we get to those numbers, it has had a uh, tremendous impact. I mean, a cataclysmic impact is probably a better way of saying it on our uh, downtown, on our retailers, on our small businesses and restaurants and many others who depend on that uh, as a seasonal boost for their revenue. And it has you know, really changed uh, how we're doing business, not only in the city, but how that is uh, going to impact us going forward. And when people aren't flying, when people aren't traveling, when people are concerned about the health uh, of themselves and their coworkers, and you aren't having conferences, you aren't having tour groups come in to uh, learn about the history of Montgomery and, and the South itself, uh, you miss out on a lot. And it, it has been shown in our city budget. We're down, you know, about 25% uh, with, with the revenue shortfall. And by the time we're done with this, it may be closer to 30%. So we're going to have a significant shortage here in part due to uh, the decrease in lodging taxes and other uh, taxes that would be coming in, rental taxes that would be coming in due to that tourism. So it, it's made a, a major impact there in a, in a negative way. Yeah. yeah, unless unless David has a has another question about uh, about the virus and the situation here, I was going to to, to kind of move forward uh, yeah, a little yeah. bit to a, to a different topic, and uh, and we had discussed this in the in the opening uh, of, of this week's podcast, and that's a situation that's kind of taking place in, in Minnesota, or not kind of taking place, it is taking place in Minnesota uh, with, with the death of uh, George Floyd and uh, just the the things the protests that have taken place since then and and i know uh you know being from montgomery and, and that me having lived there lived there for so long and uh i was there during the greg gunn uh, ordeal uh, you know the, the greg gunn who was tragically shot by a police officer who has now been convicted of of manslaughter and uh and so i know you kind of came in on the back side of that and inherited uh some of that but i, I wanted to just get your thoughts uh you know kind of now uh, having have been in charge so to speak of, of a police department in a city that has experienced a problem like that what are your thoughts uh, when you see that and and what steps are y'all taking in montgomery to kind of uh, bridge that gap between a police department and a community that does not always trust them absolutely well you know my, my first thoughts are when you see that are, are that of just being a human being and being disgusted by it and being repulsed by it but also being hurt you know, by um, someone using their position to do that to another human being. Um, you know, having a, a cousin uh, and family who have been police officers from the NYPD uh, to classmates and friends I've known since junior high school who are part of uh, MPD and, and police officers in other cities, I know that there are great men and women who uh, put on the badge for all the right reasons. Unfortunately, I think when you see uh, the video of George Floyd, you can't uh, help but think that uh, race had a role in that and that a person was so callous about the life of another individual that I wonder what else they may have done uh, in their career. And I think it speaks to uh, the culture in, in some departments and in some communities they're about you know the value of life and whose has value and whose doesn't. Whether that be a, you know uh, factored into race or whether that's class or zip code or whatever it may be, 
And, you know, my thoughts on that are, are, are primarily out of being a, a, a black man um, who, you know, had to tell a much larger cousin what not to do uh, if we were stopped by the police years ago. And you think about those conversations. He was younger, uh, but a big guy. And, you know, as gentle as, 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 as they come, but I knew because of his size that if something were to ever happen, he could be in danger. And so this has been a part of the history in, in this country that Brian Stevenson and the Equal Justice Initiative have, you know, really brought to the forefront over the, over the last few years in a way that is uncomfortable to think that it still exists now. Even when we think of the uh, Eric Garner situation in New York, to consider that this man is saying, I can't breathe, the exact same words, so many times in that uh, you have a person uh, who is supposed to protect and serve with the knee on the neck. You know, this isn't a group of men who are you know, doing something they shouldn't have done even in, in New York with Eric Garner. This is somebody who is intentionally putting his knee on his neck for well over five minutes. I mean, that, that shows a lack of respect for humanity uh, in a way that I, I don't know that we've seen uh, in some time. And, you know, when I think about what history Montgomery has, I think about the responsibility that I have as mayor and I think about the responsibility that uh, my police chief, Ernest Finley, has. And he's well aware of my thoughts on this uh, as a black mayor, as a black police chief. There's a level of responsibility that we had to the community because we understand uh, probably better than others the history of policing uh, communities of color in this country, whether it was Watts, whether it's uh, Newark, New Jersey, or whether it's Montgomery, Alabama. And we understand that there are things that we have to do a little bit differently in order to earn that trust. Um, and I think when I consider where uh, Montgomery has been in the late 70s and in, in the case where it was, you know, you had the Tyre Road incident, you had so many other things that have taken place even before uh, you, had, you know, Greg Gunn. That was something that I inherited, and within the first few months, we wanted to put that chapter behind us. And so we uh, settled that case, and more importantly than settle the case, the charge was given to uh, our police chief that the culture needed to be changed. And that people who did not understand the sensitivity that we uh, are dealing with in this day and age probably shouldn't be a part of the police department. Those who want to learn and those who uh, are in it for the right reasons to protect and serve, we welcome all of them and we will support them with everything that we have. And, you know, finally, I guess when I saw this video Monday morning, I mentioned to Chief Finley, I asked him had he seen it. And at the time, he had not. I said, well, take a look at it. I said, because it's going to make you sick. But I said, we also have to make sure that we learn from it so that nothing like this 
happens here. And if that means we have to do increased training, if that means we have to do better uh, psychological profiles on uh, our policemen and women, not just when they come in, but you know, periodically just to, to see where they are uh, and get them any help they may need for uh, bias training or anything along those lines, then I said, we wanna do that. We wanna make sure those resources are there so that they can carry out their jobs, they can be safe, they can return home to their families at night, but also so can the people who they are charged with protecting and serving, even if that means an arrest. Uh, that should be done with dignity and it should not end in a loss of life uh, because of fear, racism, prejudice, bias, or any other uh, reasoning or rationale that may be used. So, Mayor, real quickly, before we run out of time, um, I'm glad you answered the question with the thoroughness that you did. You touched on something, or you alluded to something that I think is really key, and I'd like for you to explore it a little more. And that's the kind of training that police officers are given. And I know one point that has been raised of interest to me as a black man is that there seems to be a lack of tolerance for any kind of uh, dialogue or dispute when it comes to black people that, that, that is often extended to white people. There's a, to a level of tolerance for debate and dispute with white civilians that police officers, don't, whether they're black or white, don't, don't seem to extend to black people. Do you think that's a fair assessment and is that a training issue if it is indeed a fair assessment i don't think anyone trains policemen to put their uh knee in the, in the back of someone's neck you know i think that is is something that a person takes uh upon themselves and i think from you know my standpoint training only goes so far you have to have a certain character um you know, to do that job. No different than other other jobs. It all takes a unique skill set. And it all takes a unique set of, of, of patience as well. And I think where we are, you know, in, in society is that whether it's someone who is, um, you know, jogging in a neighborhood or if it's someone who is walking in, in a park watching birds, and ask the lady to, to put the dog on a leash that you do have a uh, desensitized uh, level of humanity when it comes to, I think, uh, people of color. And I think that is dangerous. I think it is reckless. And I think it presents a problem. Unfortunately, again, it, it, it's not new. And it's something that we have to learn from. And I think it's something we have to constantly confront. And, you know, I, I, I think that we have made tremendous progress in this country, but we probably give ourselves too much credit for how deep that progress really runs. So we've made some superficial progress, but not as much uh, substantive progress. And, you know, in, in my opinion, when it comes to uh, how people view me or how they may view a family member or a friend, uh, whether they be black or white, that shouldn't be determined by, you know, their race. It should be determined by their actions, should be determined by 
uh, the circumstances at that time. And I think that's where we have to work. That's where we have to acknowledge there's still areas of improvement. And that's what we have to acknowledge uh, that we still have a long way to go to um, really judging everybody in this society equally. And I think if we can acknowledge that, if we can continue to work on that for those of us in leadership positions, then we can improve uh, circumstances, not just in matter of life and death, but how we deal with people day in and day out that are not um, coming from a police and civilian encounter, but they're just coming from a human to human encounter and how we deal with each other. Well, I, you know, I got to say, um, it's 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 very nice to to hear a, a mayor talk that way. I mean, it really is. It's uh, it, it's you know, it, it's great and it's really great for the city of Montgomery. I you know, I loved it uh, living there and uh, and I met a lot of really great people. And I am I'm happy to to say they have a, a, a mayor that they deserve uh, now. And um, and mayor, I, I know you're busy. Uh, and and I've enjoyed seeing all the all the media appearances on, on CNN and, uh, and and MSNBC and the others and uh it uh, uh it has been great to, to see you out there and uh, and really really appreciate you coming on for a few minutes here with us thanks so much i appreciate it josh thanks for the work that that you do david good talking with you again yes, and sir. uh anytime i can help let me know and hopefully the next time i'm making some media appearances somewhere it'll be for some good news right uh that we share with with the rest of the country and, and not for uh where we are right now so we're gonna try to get our arms around that and try to get everybody back on the same page in the community and see if we can uh, beat this COVID-19 virus together and then get back to the summer and maybe even some uh, fall football and some other things going on as well. That'll, that'll be good. That'll be good. That's uh, Listen, I uh, we look forward to the next visit, and I know it, it won't be long down the road. Thank you, Mayor. Thanks, Mayor. Sounds good. Thank you all. Take care now. Bye-bye. That's uh... It's uh, it's very nice. Uh, uh, I tell I tell you, it, you know, I, like I said before, I I, I like uh, Todd Strange fine, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and and would would consider uh, Todd Strange even you know friendly, um, you know, as much as a reporter and a mayor can be friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, it's it's not. I think that that having having uh, Stephen there will will address a lot of issues in that city that uh, have have laid dormant for a long time uh, and have desperately needed to be addressed and i think they will kind of get the focus and the resources devoted to them uh, that will make a real difference for a lot of people he is a i'm impressed with him this is my second time um, interacting with him as a as a journalist or or media person Mm -hmm. and uh, i'm just impressed with him i think that he's extremely thoughtful Mm -hmm. And expresses himself very well. He's careful about what he says. Yeah, he's just a smart guy, and I and I think the future is bright for him, and yeah. consequently for Montgomery. Well, uh, it's a it's a tough gig he's got. Yeah. Uh, Montgomery is a tough tough city uh, there, yeah, especially yeah. from a racial standpoint. Oh, uh, I yeah, mean, it's well, uh, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it, and I, I've tried to tell people, um, uh, unless you're there, unless you're living there, man, you you just can't really fully appreciate the the racial disparity and the uh, and the way seemingly every single thing breaks down on race. Uh, and it is it's a it, it's a it's a weird place. Uh, I, like I said, I liked it a lot. I love love the people. I met a lot of really great people there, and and still have a lot of great friends there. Uh, but man, it it was a it was a strange place, and I, I can't say that. Um, I'm not happier living in in Madison uh, because you don't have that on a day to day basis. I, I, you know, I it just is. Uh, I, I wish Montgomery could kind of get past some of that. Mm. Uh, and I think if you could, uh, it would be a whole different different city. But some people keep it for our ulterior motives, uh, for self enrichment, and um, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. But you now I think they have a mayor that's going to kind of force some changes. Well, good. Yeah. All right, we'll be back uh, here in a minute. We'll wrap this thing up with a whole slew of right-wing nuts of the week. So uh, (laughs) y'all stick around. chat with uh, Mayor Stephen Reed. Really appreciate him uh, coming on and spending uh, spending some time with us. I know he's busy and uh, you know, he's all over the place on, on TV and stuff. Full, man. Yeah, it's uh, and that's that's how it works. You know, one of one of the biggest things with uh, uh, with with Mayor Reed and uh, the city of Montgomery and the and, you know the kind of the the COVID cases popping up and you know I mentioned some of it to, at the start of the show, but we didn't really get into any. Uh, any details and one of the things i wanted to touch on was uh uh chip brownlee with apr uh, again who has been uh, the the voice of of covid19 in alabama uh i mean really it's you, you watch msnbc or cnn at night and whenever they talk about alabama they flash up chip stories and graphs mm-hmm. on on tv it's uh rachel maddow had a whole uh twitter thread the other day mm-hmm. and it was all links of of stories from our website wow. uh yeah it's um I mean, it's not it's crazy what he what he has done with this and uh somebody should should give him some recognition uh for it but um uh, and and hopefully they will. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about in the form of awards and, and things yeah, like that. And, yeah. you know, and, but what he had a story today. <laughs> so I'll, I'll just read it. Uh, the Alabama Department of Public Health is combining some antibody test results with diagnostic test results in its total tested count on the state's public coronavirus dashboard, potentially complicating the picture of the virus's spread. Uh, this was uh, told to Chip by uh, by Dr. Scott Harris, the state health officer, uh, that uh, some antibody tests uh, were being included in those results. Uh, and I'll skip down here to... Uh, uh, to the explanation for why that's important. And uh, the acknowledgement that Alabama has combined the two types of tests on its public dashboard comes after several states faced a backlash from public health experts who say the two types of tests should not be combined. Combining the two types of tests muddies the picture and could mislead the public and policymakers about where and when the virus spread. Depending on how many antibody tests have been included, it may also falsely inflate the total tested count. 
<laughs> Several other states, including Texas, Virginia, and Vermont, said they also recognize the issue and have been working to fix them. Uh, the CDC also came under fire for combining the two types of tests in its public reporting of testing numbers. And, uh, you know, the, Harris said that they're going to attempt at some point here to to, to uh, remove the, separate the two tests and, and get them out of there. But you know, what it seems to me is, is a cheap way to go about upping your testing numbers. Uh, and that's the only reason why you would include them. Uh, because otherwise it, it it misleads you in in what what's going on. I mean, because it it can mis- mislead you in both ways. Uh, sure. You know, you, I mean, it could inflate the number of uh, of uh, positive tests you have uh, falsely. Um, and um, so, I mean, just why? Well, why? it just seems like another dumb error in um yeah. in a string of so many dumb errors, and and it also highlights again the fact that. For weeks and weeks, we heard over and over and over again that the only thing that matters is testing and tracing, that once we get this testing capacity up, man, we're going to be able to go about our lives and, uh, you know, we'll really know what's going on with this virus then at that point. And, but we need to, to stay calm and uh, stay locked down until we get that testing stuff up. We don't have any more tests now. <laughs> I mean, not substantially more than we did. And, and everybody's kind of opened things back up and shrugged it off and said, y'all be careful. Yeah, yeah. Good luck out there. Uh, Hope it goes well for you. <laughs> I just, I mean, I, I don't, I, I, this thing has been so mishandled all up and down the line. Uh, you know, and and let's be honest, the, the only way that you can you can do this uh, and manage this thing is from a federal level. Okay, states states have 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 a responsibility. There's no doubt about that. Governors and some governors have handled it better than other governors, um, but uh, and some mayors have handled it better than other mayors. You know, uh, and so but so you can do that on the on that lower level. But at the same time, you you need that the supplies and the support uh, and and the planning. Uh, from the federal government because they have the most uh, resources, especially when you're talking about doing these gigantic, broad uh, things to to address this. And and we didn't we didn't have that plan. I mean, mainly because you elected a moron, and morons yeah, don't it. plan very well. Yeah, um, and you know, and he did he did away, and all this cutting that they did. You know, yeah. it sounds so great about budgeting and stuff. It sounds great right. up until the point the pandemic comes it. along. That's right when you need it. So you need. You need not only do you need the resources, as you just said, the broad the broad scope of resources that the federal government has access to. Mm-hmm. You need the institutional knowledge of dealing with pandemics mm-hmm. and dealing with you know viral outbreaks. States don't tend to have that mm. the way that the federal government does. Right. The federal government has the CDC, the NIH, and and probably a you know twenty or thirty other acronyms that yeah. are specifically, and even some of the intelligence services, mm-hmm. quite honestly, yes. agencies, quite honestly, play into this as well. Mm-hmm. You know, from a global perspective, especially yes. helping us to understand how these things connect to what's happening here. Right. You know, so it, it only makes sense, as you yeah. said, for the federal government to be providing an overarching blueprint and strategy. Which we would have had if, and I'm not even going to just say if Obama was in there. Hell, if we'd had George W. Bush in there, I think we'd have had an overarching strategy. Well, we did. We did. I mean, so Obama, they had 
you know, pandemics come along yeah. or, or, you know, global illnesses that came along, yeah. you know, H1N1 and all these things that, yeah. that happened. Yeah. So, and, you know, and they, they set these things up and yeah. then people were discussing at that point how it wasn't enough. You know, maybe they needed to do more and be more prepared. And then we went the other direction and then somehow or another still tried to blame it on Obama. I don't. But, you know, yeah, how do you how do you blame the previous president for his shortcomings when you've destroyed everything you could that he ever did? Oh, but it was his fault that now you can't do stuff. And it was three years ago. You know what I mean? It was that's that's the part to get you is it was three. He'd been in office for more than three years now. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, and, and speaking of idiocy, uh, so we're, we've come to the right wing nut portion of the of the show here, our right wing nut jobs of the week. Mm. And um, and. and there was a thought um, uh, of a second award, but I, I, I don't feel like I don't feel like John Merrill uh, has earned uh, to the right to be the first two-time winner of the Right Wing Nut Job Award. Okay. All right, so got to work for it. Uh, yeah, I think I, I, I think there are people who've done much more work for that than than he has. Mm-hmm. Um, but but. Uh, Merrill joined in. I think he's going to be may, maybe maybe by default uh, the awardee? yeah it would be a partial awardee partial yeah but partial. because we're going to award this thing to the group of people who are insisting that mail in voting causes massive voter fraud mm-hmm. uh, that we cannot have this because this is massive voter fraud uh, you're just waiting on uh, you know, the, the shoe to drop and, and all of these uh, m- massive numbers of illegal votes to be cast as soon as we mail out ballots uh, to, to everybody and let this them return the ballots. the number one voting issue we have in this country. Mm-hmm. It's the number one. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're because people are scared uh, that that going to polling places and being jam packed into polling places and standing in line for hours, uh, you know, it's, oh, but only in the black community because they can't get more than one precinct in in a fifteen square mile radius, right. uh, just by chance. Social distance, yeah, right. Community when it comes to voting, uh, right. So, uh, so. Uh, you know they're 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 legitimately worried that they they you know and they don't want to go especially people who have conditions or who may develop conditions or whatever you know they're worried that so they come along and let's say somebody gets uh, bronchitis uh, you know, uh, a few weeks before yeah. uh, the election. Well, you know, they might have been a healthy person up to that. They got pneumonia. Something happened. You know, and now they're at risk. Uh, well, it's too late to get an absentee ballot in the state of Alabama and in many other states. And so you would like the option for just mailing, you know, somebody sends you a ballot and you mail the ballot back to them, sure. you know, with all the other things, all the other standards met. Yeah, uh, and this is not this is not a new concept. No, American voting. no. We've been doing absentee voting, yeah. which is mail in voting. Yes, We've been it doing is. that for how many elections? Who knows? Uh, I don't know. Probably uh, since before we were born. Yeah, you know? it, it is. It is. It is way back there. Yeah. You know, because it started the U.S. military. Yeah, uh, you know, and that's that's, right. that's, that's part that's of right. what they what that's they were right. doing. And that's the reason why Republicans love absentee voting so much. That's right. the reason why there's never on this. And in uh, the previous election, presidential election, mm-hmm. they were they were they couldn't wait. Like, yeah. Yeah. To get those military ballots right. in, exactly. but now all of a sudden, yeah, oh wait, mail-in voting, oh huh. no, what? Huh. Yeah, huh. so yeah, yeah it's uh, uh, so John Merrill, 
uh, in the our Secretary of State uh, first tweeted because every Republican in the state of Alabama is really looking for attention from Trump, except for Jeff Sessions, who really wants Trump to just leave him alone at this point. Uh, but uh, Merrill tweeted at Trump that, that he promised uh, President Trump that there would be no direct mail voting in this state. Uh, you know, we're going to stick to it and, and root out the fraud. Uh, and then went on CNN to spout off nonsense about this uh, and, and to give reasons about why they're, you know, and, and recount these fraud cases. And we got six people in jail right now uh, over absentee. 83% of our fraud uh, comes from, from absentee ballot uh, yeah. fraud. And, and, and we, can't, we can't do this. Uh, well, so let me tell you. Let me tell you a little secret. Uh, 83% is correct. Uh, that's of six cases. Okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. five of the six cases over the last eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it's 12 years at this point. So in 12 years, out of millions upon millions of ballots cast, we've had six cases in which people have been convicted of voter fraud. Five of those cases were because they tampered with absentee ballots. In every single case, the people who were convicted were people who had access to the ballots because of their positions that they worked in. Okay. Oh. That's the reason why they were able to get their hands on them. That's the reason why they were able to do the fraud that they committed. Now, those people were punished, and rightfully so. I don't care. They were, And honestly, I believe, uh, I know four of them were probably Democrats because they were working for a guy who was, uh, and this is the other thing, they were all... Uh, they were all in little local races. The okay. the one with four people convicted for the uh, at the same time was for a city council spot in Dothan. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, that's it, yeah, that's, a, that's yeah. And it was and it was basically about ninety something ballots that they were able to alter and and commit the fraud with. Uh, and again, wrong. Yeah, wrong. Absolutely. Should be punished. Yeah, uh, should yeah. should not happen. Yeah. But. The idea, this notion that there is this widespread fraud taking place out there is nonsense. Well, and I think the point that you made off air, which since you haven't made it, I'm going to make it, but I'll credit you. Okay. Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. You can steal it. Well, we'll share it. Okay. The point that you made to me, which I, I thought was exquisite, is this. If this has been such a burden on the hearts of the GOP, <laughs> right, right, and yeah. we live in a state that uh-huh. is controlled from the governor's mansion mm-hmm. through the state house mm-hmm. by the GOP, mm-hmm. then why the hell haven't y'all passed some legislation mm-hmm. to deal with this? Well, you know, they have passed some legislation about voter, uh, about voter fraud, but that legislation dealt with in-person voter fraud not had nothing whatsoever to do with absentee ballot fraud that's the reason why you have voter ids because voter id uh, laws address one specific one type specific of fraud type. and that specific fi- uh, type of fraud is if somebody walks into a polling place right. and steals your steals your ballot from you and 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 the reason that i think even that was passed if i recall correctly um really it, it comes out of a convoluted sort of uh, interpretation uh, of an application, or I'll just say it's a convoluted sort of reaction to uh, the, the the rise in voting in certain communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there was the, uh, this idea that we there are a lot of white people in those communities. No, no, huh, no, oddly. there weren't, oddly. as a matter of fact. Huh. A lot of young people, though, right? Now that you mention it, yeah, a lot of young people, yeah. a lot of black college age people in particular. Huh. So, yeah, that was their way, and that, of course, is tied into the whole 
um, you know, uh, tied into, in a sense, the whole uh, undermining of the Voting Rights Act that mm-hmm. many of us are concerned about now. Well, it's it's another in a long line of issues where uh, the GOP likes to say we're going to make it as easy as possible for our people to vote, and then if you your people. Uh, on the other side who are, who are right. going to vote for the other side they, if they're not voting it's because they're too lazy right uh, and why should we why should we accommodate the lazy right. people so we, we're gonna we're gonna crack down on on college ids and we're mm-hmm. gonna crack down on other things oh but you got a hunting license oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right yeah that's uh, but, but i think again the thing that you pointed out was no laws about no. this absentee voting fraud nothing at all nope not a you change. Control, you could, you've been in control for yep. a while now. No change in years yeah. for any of it. But now all of a sudden it's a massive problem. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's odd. Odd how that works. It's yeah. almost as if there's an ulterior motive there. Yeah. All right, so then anyways, those, all those people that keep claiming falsely that mail-in voting, they're, they're our right-wing nuts of the week, uh, from the president to his press secretary to most of his family uh, to all of the GOP people. They're, they're, it's not. We know it's not. And we know that the reason why you don't want to do it is simply because the more people who vote, the less Republicans get elected. There it is. That's it. All right. That's going to do it for us this week. Uh, we'd like to uh, to thank uh, Mayor Stephen Reed for coming on, spending some time with us, yeah, and uh, and also to uh, Chip Brownlee for sure. uh, uh, for more fine work and putting this bad boy together for us and uh, all the work he's done at APR and uh, the statistics and whatnot. And listen, and uh, we'll thank you all for listening. We're out of here. guys i'm back again to uh annoy you about giving us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcast from and honestly yes i do feel a little bit like lumberg uh whenever i show back up here asking you to do this it's like i'm asking you for your tps reports but if you wouldn't mind leaving us a rating or a review that would be great thanks